0: you were with us last week, um, we looked at this story that happened just before where we're going to be picking up this morning and we got this like dynamic picture of Jesus. If you remember and if you weren't with us last week, that's totally okay. You can go back and you can read the story that came right before this. We got, uh, there was this little boy and this little boy who spent like for the majority of his life, he was oppressed by the enemy. And Jesus' his disciples meet this little boy, meet this little boy's daddy, and they're unable to help him. There's nothing that they can do to fix this little boy. And Jesus shows up in a way that only he can. He heals a little boy. And he meets the dad in exactly where he is in his faith journey. And, and in a way that only Jesus can, he reveals some of these deep truths to his disciples. And you just get this dynamic and, and beautiful picture of Jesus last week where he met multiple people where they were in their spiritual journeys. And it's all for the purpose of drawing them closer to himself. This morning, our story picks up right as that story ended. Jesus and his disciples are traveling and we get this different look at Jesus. Jesus wants to be alone with his disciples in our story this morning. He wants a place where he can be quiet, intimate. Intimate. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this in life where someone shares something with you and just because of the weight, because of the seriousness of the message, like it just, it needed to be shared in private where there are no crowds around. One of these moments in my life came when I was in middle school and it was the moment when one of my best friends, Jeremiah told me that, that he and his family were moving and they weren't like moving across the town, they weren't moving to a different, set. Like they were moving to Alaska from Murray, Kentucky and it was one of those moments I'm like, I will never see you again and and I was just, as he was telling me this, I was thinking about my friend who like literally spent his summers at our house and every day we rode our bikes together and every day we, we swam together and we played sports together and we chased girls together and we were middle schoolers together and I just had this moment where I, I realized that the significant, the weight of this moment didn't need to be shared at a cafeteria table where there were other people to hear that, that there are just some moments that need to be shared in the privacy of a living room. And, and Jesus invites his disciples into this quiet place where there are no crowds, it's just he and his disciples where he can just like take them into some some deep and heavy stuff this is where our story picks up this morning in mark chapter 9 verse 30 let's read the text these few verses together so mark 9 verse 30 it says they left that place Jesus jesus and his disciples and they passed through galilee jesus did not want anyone to know where they were where they were because he was teaching his disciples And he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But the disciples kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. I love that. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the servant of all. Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. This is the word of God from Mark chapter nine. And so this beautiful and kind of complicated story. And we're gonna just kind of walk through this verse by verse this morning. And I kind of have five words or five movements that I want us to think about just to kind of guide us as we work our way through these nine verses. And so the first kind of movement in the text, if you're a note taker, is is the moment. The the moment of kind of what is happening here. And so let's read um, verses 30 through 32 one more time. Let your, your mind, your curiosity take you here. So it says that Jesus and his disciples left that place. They passed through Galilee and Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him. And so the moment, so this is, this is the second time that Jesus has shared these words about his future with his disciples. Just a week or so earlier, you go back and you read this in Mark chapter eight, he had just told them the exact same thing. The son of man is going to be delivered and he will die, but he will rise again. And if you go back and you read Mark chapter eight, one of the things that you see is that his disciples didn't understand it then. And it's clear that they don't understand it now. And so the the question that I was wrestling with this week as I was like thinking through this text is, is why does he keep telling them this? Like Christ knows that that his disciples, they they just don't get it. They don't understand. Why does he keep telling them? I was thinking about this moment, about how at least I think partially it's, it's Christ wanting these guys to know him. Christ wanting these guys to know everything about him. You see, I think this moment is about friendship. Before I worked at Ethos, my job I was uh, a campus minister, and I did this for two and a half years, and I absolutely loved my job. For about thirty hours a week, what I would do is I would just sit down and I would have coffee, or I would eat lunch with students at this school, and, and I loved it, like just dream job. And I was thinking back on my campus ministry experience this week, and I was thinking about one of my favorite things was to meet like freshmen is when they come in and to sit down and have coffee and you kind of get to have that like surface level conversation where are you from what are you studying you know what do you like to do and it's like that's it right like you have nothing else to talk about and and I remember though like it was so fun you you have these like surface level conversations and then over time like I remember like having conversations with like Burton I saw Burton my buddy over here majority of you guys like a lot of you guys in this room this is how I met you Sitting down over coffee, and one of the things that I love is that as you, as you sit down, and you get to know somebody, the, the friendship goes deeper over time. That, that these students, like if it start out shallow, but over time, they're like, let you into their lives, their real questions, their real hurts, their real pains, the real person that they were. This is the way friendships work. One of the things that I get to do is I get to work with our house churches here at Ethos. And I love it because very rarely on the first time that house churches meet, does does someone walk in and they lay all their cards on the table? Like It's just not the way it works. But like week in and week out, as you get to know the people that you're doing life with, as you begin to trust them, as you begin to, to love them and value them, you start to let them in on your life, on who you actually are. And I love this like very human picture that we get of Jesus here. That Christ wants to be known. He wants them to see him and to know him for who he is, even if they can't even comprehend it. And I love this because Christ still does this. This is who Jesus still is today. Like the Jesus that we come here to worship and to know, this is exactly who his character still is today that that he wants every one of us to know him. Some of you guys are followers of Jesus. Some of you aren't. But the reality is that when you start following Jesus, you don't know everything there is to know about him when you start following him. But as you press in, as you walk with him, as you actually follow him, he reveals more of himself to you. You know, our whole lives, Jesus will continue to take us into these quiet places, these living room moments, and reveal more of himself to us because he wants us to know him. For some of you, this is going to be a moment where you're like, you're overwhelmed with fear and worry. And you're going to get on your knees and you're going to pray because you have nowhere else to turn, no one else to turn to. And you're going to realize in that moment that, that, that he's faithful. Maybe up until this point in your life, you knew his love or you, you knew that he was kind, but you didn't really know if he was with you through the good stuff and the hard stuff. And You're going to have a moment in your life where you're going to call on God and Christ is going to continue to pull the veil away and show you who he really is. Some of you are gonna have these moments where you're gonna feel lonely. You feel like no one in the world cares about you and Christ in a way that only he can is gonna come to you. You're gonna realize in that moment how much that he actually does comfort us. For me, I've kind of been experiencing this in my life. The past six or eight months of my life, like these uh, feelings of anger and jealousy and selfishness just keep bubbling up in my life. And you know what I'm learning about Christ right now? How unbelievably patient he is. That because he actually loves me, like not the better version of me, because he actually loves me and he knows that selfishness and jealousy and anger are destructive for my soul, for my walk with him. Because he wants those things out of my life, not just because they're they're hurting him, but because they're hurting me, because he actually loves me. And I'm learning that that our God is not just some angry slave master with a whip, like standing over me every time I mess up, but that he loves me, he's patient. You see, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, he wants us to know him. And I love this, that that he will continue to reveal himself to us fully. This is a moment, this is the moment of friendship, the second kind of movement in this text I want us to think about, and they're all M words, I'm sorry about that. The second word is the message. We looked at the moment. Let's look at the message. And so it's not just about why he tells them. It's not just about the friendship that Christ has with them and with us. I think the content of what he says here, the message itself is so crucial. So the second part of verse 31, let's go back and look at that one more time. The message of Jesus. He says, the son of man, which is a nickname that Jesus uses for himself. The son of man is gonna be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Why does this have to happen? He is the God of the universe. He has set up things exactly as he wanted them, he can do whatever he wants. Why was it his plan? Why did this thought of of Christ coming and Christ being handed over and Christ dying, why was that thought even in the mind of God? You ever thought about that before? Why did Christ have to die? I was thinking this week, I was reminded of this verse in the middle of Romans, Romans chapter three, where it says that, that God is just and that God justifies I want to invite us just for a minute. We're going to go like pretty heavy here for a minute. And I really want to just invite you to let this message, to let this gospel truth like into your hearts. If you notice the second part of verse 32, it says that the disciples didn't understand it. And so they left and there wasn't any clarity. And I don't want that to be true of us this morning. I want the weight of this message, the seriousness of this message to fill our hearts. And so God is just and the one who justifies You know, in Christ, we see the seriousness which God deals with our sin. In Christ, we see the seriousness of which God deals with our sin. And in Christ, we see the magnitude of His love for sinners. In Christ, we see the seriousness which God deals with sin. And in Christ, we see the magnitude of love that God has for the sinner. In Christ, we see the seriousness which God deals with sin. And in Christ, we see the magnitude of love that God has for the sinner. I was hit by the personalness of what Christ says here. He says, the son of man, Jesus, he, he will be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And I think what he's wanting them, what he's wanting us to understand, to know is that, and this is hard, but that we're responsible. That that we're the men that killed him. Not someone else. You see, it wasn't just some impersonal, ambiguous sin that, that killed Jesus. It wasn't just some cruel Jews and some cruel Romans who didn't understand. No, we did We killed the son of God. Our attitudes toward him, our attitudes toward him, though they are all different. You know, for some of us, our attitudes are, God, I I know what it's like to live a good life and I don't need you. For some of us, the attitude in our hearts is, God, I don't care if you're real. I would rather live for myself than live for you any day. You see, our attitudes Our posture of rejection, not just our sin killed Jesus. We got our way on the cross. You see, the cross was the ultimate, leave me alone. The cross was the ultimate, I don't want anything to do with you, Christ. The cross is where every single one of us got our way. Yet the problem is that Christ came out of death that Jesus Christ um, rose out of death. And we have to do something with that. So either we wake up every day and we just keep ignoring and we, we keep shutting that door. We keep saying, God, I don't care if you're real. I don't care if you died. I don't care if you came back from dead. I don't want anything to do. Every, either, either every day we just wake up in that, and, we, and we slam that door. We, we say to God, I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want you. We wake up and we ignore him. Or we come to him and we pray to him. Christ, why did you come out of death? Jesus, I told you and I showed you that I didn't want life with you, that I knew how to live my life, that I didn't want anything to do with you. I did not want you, Christ. And it's in our prayers in our coming to Jesus where Jesus answers us and he shows us but I wanted you. I wanted life with you. You see, the death of Jesus, the handing over of Jesus isn't just impersonal sin, it's our personal rejection. And the resurrection of Jesus is proof that his acceptance of us, his desire for us, his pursuit of us is so much stronger than our rejection of him. That Cyrus woke up one day and said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. And Christ came looking for Cyrus and helped Cyrus understand his deep love for him. The seriousness of his sin and the seriousness of his love. Christ did this with David. Christ did this with Jen and Garrett and Andrew and Keilah. Christ does this with Griffin and Angie. Christ has done this with every single one of us who are followers of Jesus that we came to him and said, Christ, I didn't want anything to do with you. My sin, my rejection of you put you on the cross. And he says, my love for you, my pursuit of you is stronger than anything you could do for me. This is the gospel message. That he's serious about our sin, but he's more serious about saving the sinner. The message of Jesus Christ. Third kind of movement in our text, we looked at the moment, we looked at the message. I want us to look at the mode the mode. Um, growing up, my favorite subject was math. Any math nerds in here? Anybody else like math? A few of us have the courage to actually raise our hands. And, um, in math, you have um, the mean and the median and the mode. This is a little uh, mathematics lesson for you. You guys probably forgot this. The, the mean is um, the, the average, right? The median is the, the, the middle number. And what's the mode? I don't know know why I asked that question. Like I could really hear what you were saying. Um, It's the number that occurs most frequently. So you think about that in this text. Jesus has already told them this. He looked at his apostles in the eyes and he says, I'm gonna die, but I will rise. He told them this in Mark 8. He tells them again here in Mark 9. He's gonna tell them the same thing in, in Mark chapter 10. I go, man, why does this keep coming up? Why does he have to keep telling them this? Why does it in scripture, it's like, you know, Mark had a a very limited time, like he only had a little piece of the Bible to write. Why does he include this three different times in his part of the Bible? And I'm so comforted by this. Have you ever needed to be reminded that because of Christ, you are no longer a, a wretched sinner? but that because of Christ you're a forgiven saint? Have you ever needed to be reminded that Christ was stronger than our rejection? Of course. We all do. Christ, because he actually loves us, he reminds us over and over and over again that we're gonna sin and we're gonna fall short and we're gonna forget about God and then Christ is gonna come along and remind us over and over again of his love. And we're, and, uh, and we're gonna do that thing that we never thought we'd do in life. We're gonna cross that line. We're gonna go too far. We're gonna do that thing that we, we, we never thought that we'd do. And Christ is gonna come alongside us and he's gonna remind us of the realness of the resurrection. You see, our lives, our real lives, we stumble, and we fall, and we forget. And we have these mountaintop moments, and the next day we totally forget. And I love that we see about our Jesus, our King, that He keeps speaking. He keeps reminding us of His death and His resurrection. You know, when I really want Finley, my little girl, Finley's two and a half years old. And when I really want her to understand something, I don't have a problem telling her and reminding her. So every time we go out in the yard to play, I tell her every time, hey, don't go, on the, don't go on the road. And every time we're at the pool and she's running as fast as she can, hey, quit running. And every time she's playing in our living room and she's trying to stick her finger in the electric socket, Finley, don't do that. like, when you really want someone to learn something. You don't have a problem keep telling them. And Christ keeps telling them. He keeps telling us over and over, I will die, but I will rise. Your rejection cost me my life, but I overcame it. I'm serious about your sin, and I'm just as serious about saving you. We looked at the moment, Look looked at the message, Look looked at the mode. Let's look at the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding, look with me in verse 33. So it says, they came to Capernaum and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You see, these guys had a different perspective on Jesus than we do. But all of us have misunderstandings about who Christ is and what Christ came to do. You see, the guys, the disciples in this story, they couldn't make sense of what Jesus was telling them. So literally in the original language, it means that they were lacking the capacity to rationally understand what he was saying. And so they heard that Christ was gonna suffer, that Christ was gonna die, that Christ was gonna rise, but it didn't soak in, it didn't register. So they're walking along the road and they have this argument about who is the greatest. And in their minds, Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord is this strong and victorious, political and powerful conqueror and king of the earth. And in their minds, they get to enjoy the position of being known and exalted and strong and celebrated with him. I was thinking about the US women's soccer team. Any of you got soccer fans in here? world cup fans. And I was thinking about, you know, they just won the world cup and they came back to New York city and they're hoisted high up in the streets of New York and they're on these floats and everyone's screaming and wearing their jerseys and taking pictures and celebrating. And I wonder if this is a picture that the disciples had of what their lives would look like walking with a messiah. You see, I believe the disciples had a hard time letting go what they believed God should look like, what God should do, what God should do for them. You know, and so we look at their life and we look at them and we go, man, how could you not understand? It's so clear, like what he's saying. And their misunderstandings of Jesus are different than ours. We all have misunderstandings about what we think God should look like what God should do, what God should do for us. And we could chase this a million different ways. I was just kind of thinking about one of these ways in my life. You know, one of the biggest lies that I so often believe is that Jesus died. He died for me so that I can live however I want. I don't think I'm the only one in this boat, but so often we're okay with Jesus dying for us and suffering for us. We're okay with receiving from him but our misunderstanding comes because we don't believe he calls us into the same way of living that he actually lived. You see, Jesus shows them and he shows us what it means to really be a disciple of his. That we must first receive from him his grace, his forgiveness, his love. And then we follow him into a life of service. A life where we lay down our lives for the good of other people because this is where the good life is. You know, and I really believe this. I believe that Christ wants us to live a good life. But because we're so influenced, because we're so hypnotized by the world, sometimes we think we know what it means to live a good life. So often we look to the the world to tell us what it means to live a good life. And when we look at the life of Jesus, it seems that a good life to Jesus is one that is intimately connected to God in the deepest way possible. That a good life to Jesus is one that is laid down completely for the good of other people. You see, in Jesus' desire, is for us to live well. To live great lives. He invites us to know him and to follow him for our lives as Christians, as little Christ, to actually look like his life. The fifth kind of movement, this is where we'll end this morning, is the mission, the mission. Verse 36, and so Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It's the word of God from Mark 9. In our culture, kids are loved and valued. In fact, sometimes we think a little bit too much of kids. (laughs) But in their context, it it was very different. Kids were Insignificant. We value kids because they're cute and funny. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't matter much. Kids were overlooked. Kids were forgotten. And so this gesture of Jesus is confusing. Jesus brings this child who is representative of people who are insignificant and overlooked and forgotten about in the eyes of the world. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, whenever you welcome, or another way of thinking about that is whenever you are concerned about, whenever you care for, whenever you show kindness to people that are insignificant and overlooked and forgotten about in the eyes of the world, you are doing those things directly to me, to my father. And I think that's so powerful for them and for us. You know, so often when I think about my relationship with God, what it means to be a follower, I think about reading scripture and hearing his voice. I think about praying. I think about refraining from doing things that hurt people, from things that hurt my family, things that hurt you, my my church, people that I love dearly. And Jesus in Mark chapter 9 takes it a step further. He says, you really want to be like me you really want the full experience of what it means to be a Christ follower, then serve like me. And serve like me in a way that I get the glory, not you. He looks at it and says, "Man, you, Drew, do you really want to show me how much you love me? Ben, do you really want to show me how thankful you are for what I've done for you and, and overcoming your rejection of me? Joey, you really want to really show me how much you love me? Then demonstrate that by caring for those in this world that no one else cares about. You know, and I, I want to just kind of pa- hit pause here for a minute. You know, so often when we think about like people who are insignificant and overlooked and forgotten about, so often we think about, man, I got to move to a different part of the world to find people like that. And I go, the the call of God on your life might be taking you from Nashville. That very well could be possible. But let's not always think about like how we leave this place. We don't have to leave this place to live on mission with Christ. We don't have to leave this city. You see, I think what Christ is trying to do is rewire in us the way that we live and interact with people. You see, the world tells us. It tells us to know and to love, to value, to be close to important people and powerful people. The world tells us to use people, to walk on people. The world tells us to avoid certain types of people. And Jesus is rewiring us as his disciples. He says, you want to be great? Great. You want your life to be great? Do you really want to be like me? Live a lifestyle of service. You see, I don't think he's just talking about serving the the overlooked. I believe that he is calling us to do that, okay? I believe that is what he's calling us to do, to be a church, to be people that care for those that no one else cares about. But I think he's also doing something else here. He's he's wanting to help us understand our our tendency to serve those at the top and to neglect those at the bottom. And I think he's wanting us to understand that when we are willing to serve those at the very bottom of society, we won't have a problem serving everyone else. You see, Christ wants us to live this great life. And he knows that a life of service is a path to this great life. You know, none of us I won't say that, I'm not going to speak for you. It is hard to believe this. Um, It's hard to believe that a life of service is the best way to live for a multitude of reasons. But this is the way I want us to think about this morning. There's something about seeing um, people actually living like this that helps us believe. You know, Christ lived this way. Christ did all this for us, that his life was all about serving us. He's still serving us, pursuing us. I think he understands that in like 2015, in a context, in a country that is so far from God, I think he understands that, that we need to see this in other people. There's something about seeing in other people that helps us believe it. That a life of service really is a great life. A couple of weeks ago, I had um, coffee with some friends I went to school with and graduated um, from school with. And um, they're missionaries in Haiti. And we came back, they were just visiting family for a little while. And so we were sitting down having coffee. And, and as they were talking, Man, I just, one of the things I realized is that like Hunter and Jillian are living this. And I kept asking them, hey, what do you guys need? How can we bless you? We know it's gotta be hard to, to take care of 19 kids. Literally, they're taking care of 19. Can you, can you even imagine? It's like, what do you guys need? How can we bless you? How can we serve you? And I asked Jillian that question and she looked at me and she said, the best way you can help us is by helping our kids. And so one of my kids wants to go to college. If there's anyone in your church that, that wants to send one of my college to, or one of my kids to college, they wanna come up to the United States and go to a Christian school, could, do you think your church could help fund one of my kids? And one of my other kids is wanting to pursue this career. One of my other kids needs this help in this area. And one of my other kids, and, and I kept asking her about herself and she kept deflecting it going, Brandon, what I really need is, is help from my kids. And I go, wow. This is a friend, some friends of mine who are living this out. And I was just sitting there going, man, they're living this. I think about my friend, Lindsay, who goes to church here. Get got an email from Lindsay and she said, Brandon, I, I love to teach Spanish. I'm gifted at art. I wanna use my gifts to bless our church. I don't want to just come here and and take. I don't just want to be another person in church. I want to use the the things that God has given to me to make our church, to make our city better. So will you help me figure out ways to use that? I want to, and I'm going, man, it's amazing when when you see people. You don't have to move to a third world country to serve people, to live this great life of service. Or think about another guy in our church. I'm not going to mention his name because I think it'll embarrass him. Every Sunday, though, over at the cannery, we're, we're at church of three different locations, and uh, there's a really big kids um, kind of program over at, uh, at cannery. And one of my friends, every Sunday afternoon, he goes up there when, uh, in between um, gatherings, in between the 11 o'clock and the five, and he cleans the kids' space. And he dusts off the tables, and he vacuums the floor, and he mops the space. And he leaves before anyone else gets there at five o'clock, and his work so servant-hearted. And I look around the room and I go, man, I see this. And I I could tell a story about the majority of you about the ways that you're doing this. And so this is not a a, a message for us to go, crap, man. You know, Byron and Rachel are getting it. I don't, I'm I'm not living this life. No, God is is helping us all step into this in greater ways. And he's going, my desire for all of us, for all of you is to live this great life. And a great life is a, a life of service. I told this story last week at the cannery and I see my brother, my friend Don over here and he was telling me a couple weeks ago he and his family went to South Carolina and they got to, to visit the church where the church shootings were. My wife and I were watching. Um, we were watching just kind of some of the, the news and, uh, about the shooting one night and it was the night where they allowed the victims, the family victims to to look the shooter, to look Dylan in the face and just to kind of say something to him. I was particularly moved by this one guy. Didn't show his face, but you could hear his voice. And they had Dylan, the the shooter, projected up on the screen and um, him just kind of listening and hearing these words. and, And this guy looks at him and he says, you took from me one of the most valuable people in my life. You have no idea what I'm feeling in my heart right now. But what you need to know, Dylan, is that I forgive you. That what you need to know, Dylan, is that you are in my prayers and that I'm praying for the grace of Jesus Christ to fill your life. Because what you need is not for us to stand against you. What you need right now is to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's hate in your heart. There's hate, there's hurt in my heart. He said, but you need to know the thing that I'm praying for you is that you come to know Christ. And I'm sitting there in that moment going, man, that guy gets it. He understands that. A life following Christ is a life that has the ability to push everything else aside. To look people in the eyes and go, your soul matters. You matter because you are created in the image of God. And I will serve you. I will lay down my life for you. So what do we do with this? How do we take this text and and apply it and bring it into our lives? I want to just kind of share a couple things here. For us as a church as we gather, um, for us as a church as we come here on Sundays, and then for us as a church as we scatter. So for us as a church, as we gather, you know, what are we about as a church? What's our mission? To what? Yeah. To love God. And to love people. I'm going to just say this, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, and so if you hear it that way, forgive me. If we come here on Sundays and our only objective is to love God, we've missed something. That if we come in and we don't talk to anyone and we don't meet anyone and we don't care about anyone, if we come in this place and we close our eyes and we have this great time of worship and we hear this killer message and we have this great communion moment, and we leave and we never interact, never get to know, never care about the person you're sitting beside, we miss something. You see, part of our relationship with God is connected to how we love each other. And so today, in just a minute, Jared and the band are gonna get back up and we're gonna take you and we're gonna sing a few songs. And some of you are are uncomfortable doing this and you don't have to do this, you don't have to participate, and it's totally okay. but if, if you are, I wanna encourage you to, to do this. As we take communion, I want you to meet someone around you that you do not know, okay? Some of you guys, your heart just started beating fast. You're like, oh crap, I'm leaving. Like, I'm going to early lunch. And I want to invite you to meet someone around you that, that you don't know. I want to invite you to take communion with them today. And I want you to share two things. I want you to share one good thing that's going on in your life. And I want you to share one hard thing that's going on in your life. says so you're taking communion with strangers. What's one good thing? And one hard thing? And then serve each other. Get each other's number. Check on them this week. Pray for them this week. Sit together next Sunday. I go, I think that there's something beautiful in this. When we come here and we go, oh yeah, we're actually in this together. And when you open up your life enough to to, to care about the person you're sitting beside, because chances are the person beside you is going through something just as hard as you are. And it's amazing when you let people in in your life. It's amazing how it's easy to serve when you look someone in the... When you look someone in the eyes and you can actually see real stuff in there. And so let's take a moment and care about each other and serve each other. That's us as a church as we gather, for us as a church as we scatter. So we don't just come here. We're not just the people of God when we come here, right? We're the people of God when we leave. So today when you go home and you're having lunch with your wife and your kids, today when, when you go home and you're playing Nintendo games or Xbox, Nintendo, that dates me, sorry. When you, you go home and you play Xbox um, with, with your, your roommates and you're still a follower of Jesus. So what does it mean to be church, the people of God scattered? I wanna invite you this week to wake up and to pray this prayer. God, would you give me eyes to see Would you give me a heart that cares for and a willingness to serve others today? God, would you give me eyes to see, a heart that cares for, and a willingness to serve others? And then I encourage you this week to practice what you pray for. You know, so often I grew up playing sports and when one of my favorite sports growing up was baseball and we'd go over these most ridiculous situations so that we were prepared when it came along in game day, like when the game like when it presented itself. And I mean, let's, let's be the people of God that say, God, would you give me eyes to see? Would you give me a heart that cares for and a willingness to serve? And let, let's pray that. And then when God gives us opportunities to practice that, let's be present in that moment. That's pretty good. Practice, pray, present. I like that. And may God be praised this week. May God alone be praised as we honor him and how we treat and serve other people. May our delight this week be be in serving, not to be noticed, not to be recognized, not to earn something from God, but knowing that this is what pleases him, that this is a way to say to him, thank you, we love you, we honor you. And may we genuinely care about people this week, And be concerned for them. Let's not use people to get something from God. Look into their lives and care for them. Care for them. And may God be praised as he makes us like Christ this week. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you come here and you just need somebody to talk to, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing in just a minute. There are gonna be a group of people at the Respond Banner and we would love to talk to you, to pray with you, help however we can. I love you guys. Let's pray and we'll take communion.